Targimel begins, Vahidva Hashem el Yona Shenis Lemor. And the word of Hashem came to Yona second time, Lemor to say. So basically at this point, Yona is on the Abasha, and it's clear that he's going to go in the ways of Hashem, and now Hashem appears to him a second time, and now tells him the nevuah that he is to tell to Ninveh. Now, the Pasuk uses an interesting expression. It says, Shenis. The word of Hashem was to Yonah second, secondly, second something. There's clearly a word missing there. The Ebenezer puts in the word Pam Shenis. It was the second time, meaning the Torah just said it was the word of Hashem to Yonah second, leaves out the word second time, and apparently the Nach is trying to tell us something there. And in fact, the Ababa now brings down the Gemara that says that a second time tells us that a second time Hashem spoke to Yonah, but not a third, meaning to say that Yonah was given two Nevias. The first time when Hashem appeared to Yonah, He said, Ki The wickedness of Ninveh has risen past the point. And now this is the second Nevuah and the only other Nevuah that Yonah is going to hear. Why? Because Yonah was considered one who was Mavaze, who embarrassed the Nevuah. Even though the Abarmanel points out that Yonah lived for another 120 years, and for that very long period, Hashem did not appear to him again. At the very, very end of his life, Hashem appears to Yonah and sends him on a final Nevuah, but for 120 years, Yonah did not receive an, another Nevuah. Why? Because you ran away the first time, you embarrassed the prophecy, and the punishment for that is you're not going to receive another prophecy. Now, this is illustrative because, again, let's keep in mind the reason why Yonah ran away. He was not trying to escape. He wasn't trying to shrug off his responsibility. Quite the opposite. It was out of a tremendous righteousness. He understood that Ninveh was being used by Hashem. Hashem was going to use Ninveh as the whip. And Ninveh was at a point of sins that they couldn't, they could no longer exist. Hashem was sending him to sort of redeem that whip and so that Ninveh would be do tshuva and they could be used against the Klyasrol. So the reason why Yonah did not want to de- deliver the message was not because he was embarrassing the uh, you know the Nevu in any sense, quite the opposite. It was out of his love for the Jewish nation, out of his concern. It was, again, as the Abrahamel explained to us, <coughs> to show tokif chazidusa. It shows us the extraordinary righteousness of the man. Yet, nevertheless, you embarrassed the Nevoah, you ran away from the Nevoah, you didn't treat it with a due honor, and there's there's a price to pay. And again, it's illustrative of this concept that even if your kavana is correct, even if your intentions are right, and you may be doing a wondrous thing, if you trample on the honor of certain things, it's going to come to bear, and there will be a price to pay. And hence, Yonah did not have another Nevoah for 120 years. The next puzzle goes on. Hashem says to Yonah, Go to Ninveh, the great city, and call to it, the calling that I'm going to speak to you. So now Hashem is going to give the Nevoah to Yonah. Now the Kliyaka makes an interesting observation, the, the calling that I'm going to speak to you. What did Hashem just say? This is what you should say to Ninveh. The Kleyaka explains that Hashem says these exact words that I'm going to say, I want you to say. Normally, a Novi is given an image, 
normally a Navi is given a certain <coughs> understanding, it's his job to then interpret it, it's his job to then concretize it, to put it into concrete physical terms. But here, the exact words that Yonah was to say, <coughs> he was given specific and exact words, and those he was to say. Now, <coughs> it's very interesting at this point to focus on something that the Radak and Evan Ezra point out to us earlier. And that is that Hashem appeared twice to Yonah. The first time he appears to Yonah when Yonah is in Eretz and he says to Yonah, also the wickedness of Nineveh has gotten so great that they're going to be destroyed. Now, after this entire event of being swallowed by the fish, being spit, spit out, now Hashem tells him the actual nevuah, the actual words. Now, because Hashem did not tell him the actual words, Yonah had what we would call wiggle room, meaning a Novi is not allowed to hold back his nevuah. As we mentioned previously, if a Novi holds back his nevuah, he's chayev misa. And the reason why Yonah was able to escape, the reason why Yonah was able to run away, was because Hashem didn't give him a specific nevuah earlier. He said, I'm going to send you on a mission. But he didn't tell him that mission at that point. Yonah's plot was quite simple. He would escape from Eretz Yisrael. Hashem would only speak in those days to a Novi in Eretz Yisrael. Once he was no longer in Eretz Yisrael, Hashem would not be able to give him that nevuah. Hence, he wouldn't be kovish nevuaso. So the point is that Hashem really could have circumvented the entire problem. Had Hashem appeared to Yonah originally, when Yonah was in Eretz Yisrael, and said, "The words, these are the words I want you to say, Ode arbaim yom v'ninvei nepachas. Say these words. I want you to go to Ninveh and say these words. Yonah would have had the nevuah. He would not have been able to deny it. He wouldn't have been able to hold it back because he was a novi who was given an exact directive. So why didn't Hashem just do that? Why didn't Hashem just tell him straight up and would prevented the whole running away to Tarshish, being swallowed by the dog, etc., etc.? So the concept I believe that we see here is one that Hashem runs the world in a way that allows people to grow, <coughs> allows people to accomplish, allows for Bechira. Oftentimes Hashem will set up the scene many years in advance. <coughs> Oftentimes Hashem will set up all of the events to come to allow a person to make choices, and those choices shape who he is for eternity. <coughs> There's no question that we as a Jewish nation gain tremendously by learning about the tremendous righteousness of Yonah, and by understanding he was swallowed by the fish and Hashem kept him alive, and etc. But Yonah as well grew tremendously through this whole opportunity, through this whole event. And if it could be, Hashem sequenced it in a way to allow him the choice, to allow him to run away, to allow him to learn the lesson, and to allow him to grow. And oftentimes it's interesting to note, to see how far in advance Hashem plans things, how far in advance Hashem sets things up. And in that way, we get to see a little bit more of Lashkacha and Hashem's involvement in the world. Next, next pasuk says, "Vayakom Yonah, Yonah got up, vayelech el Ninveh kidvar Hashem. He went to Ninveh, as Hashem commanded. V'Ninveh ha'iseir gedola lelokim. Ninveh was a large city, a great city to Hashem. Mahalach shloshes yomim, a walk of three days. Now, this pasuk tells us that Yonah went to Ninveh as Hashem commanded, and then gives us some description about Ninveh. Ninveh was a great city to Hashem." It was a distance of three days. Now, this latter part makes sense. It was telling us the actual size, the dimensions of Ninveh. <coughs> a man walks <coughs> three mil an hour. Let's say, in, in our terminology, a man could walk ten miles in a day. 
So it's a city of quite a large distance, three days diameter. Now it's a machlokas in Rishonah, but the simple meaning is that it's a 30-mile wide city. If you were to draw a line straight through the city, it would travel for 30 miles, quite a large city, quite a large population, <coughs> quite a large area. But the first part is a little confusing because it says it was a ir gedola le'elokim, a large city or a great city to Hashem. Now, is it because it's large that it's great to Hashem? Is Hashem impressed with numbers or with with size? What does it mean that Ninveh was an ir gedola le'elokim? And all of the Rishonim are bothered by this, but it's very interesting to note how the Ebenezer explains it. The Ebenezer explains that immediately after these Malachim saw that Yonah was swallowed, they stood where they were, they couldn't move, they had to wait until Yonah was later, three days later, spit out onto the Abasha, and then they were free, at which point they headed right to Yafo. They headed back to the city port of Yafo. They then were Megayer, they went through the Mila, Tvila, and they sent for their family to fulfill the nethers, and they came back to Ninveh. And when they came to Ninveh, they began telling the tale of what they saw. The raging ocean, we put Yonah in up to his waist and it stopped, and then we put him up to his neck and it stopped, and then we threw him in, and the, 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 the fish swallowed him, and then the fish spit him out. All of those events they told the people of Ninveh, so that the people of Ninveh were primed and ready for Yonah's appearance. Says in Eben Ezra, what it means, Ir Gedola Lelokim, they were a large city, a great city, Lelokim, leaning towards Hashem, they were primed and ready to do tshuva. Because they heard of these events, and because the malachim, the sailors, told them, they were now lelokim, they were now primed and ready to go, and ready for the nevuah. Yona began going in the city one day's walk. He called out and said, Forty more days, and Ninveh will be turned around, will be destroyed. Now, the simple reading of this tells us that Yonah walked in approximately one day's walk and he called out and said these words in 40 more days Ninveh Nepachas. Now these exact words, as the Kliyaka explained to us earlier, are the words that Hashem told Yonah to say. <coughs> say these words Od Arbaim Yom 40 more days, the Ninveh Nepachas and Ninveh will be turned around. Now Rashi is bothered by a problem. We know that every Nevoah that's given to Novi Emis comes true to exactly the words that he said. Hashem knows the future, and when Hashem sends a Novi, Hashem sends a Novi to predict the future, not as a sort of a guess, but meaning Hashem knows what's going to be, and a prophet tells us what's going to happen exactly as it's going to happen. Well, the problem is that that which Yonah said didn't come true. Ninveh was not turned over. Mapachas and stone va'amura, and stone va'amura were literally turned over, they were destroyed. And Yonah was told to say the words, Ninveh is going to be nehapachas, is going to be turned over, just like stone and amora was turned over. Well, in truth, it's not what happened. Ninveh did tshuva, they turned around, and they weren't destroyed. Sarashi so explains that that's exactly why Hashem said, use these exact words. The word nehapachas means turned over, but it could refer to one of two things. It could be referring to the city, that in 40 days, if you don't do tshuva, the city will be overturned, literally and destroyed, totally obliterated, as was Stone Amora. But the word Nehapachas turned around could also be referring to the people of Sodom. If the people of Sodom turn around, if they do tshuva, then it won't happen. 
meaning what these words were saying is as follows. Either way, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be, Nehapachas is going to be turned around. Either the city is going to be obliterated, going to be turned over, or Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, are going to be Nehapachas, but one or the other is going to happen. Now when Yonah said these words, the Radak explains he walked in like a town crier calling out the words, O Rabbi Mion, the Nineveh Nehapachas, O Rabbi Mion. He said it over and over. And the al explains that the entire city heard it. You see, it was a three-day long distance to walk across the whole city. He only walked one day, and he said the words, in 40 more days, Ninveh's Nepachas. Now, it was going to take him another two days to walk to the outer distances of the city. By the time he gets to the Nevu, it won't be true. Why? Because he entered on day one. Once he entered on day one, it's true that 40 days forward from that day, Nineveh is going to be turned over. But he has to walk another two days to get to the edge of the city. By then, it's now three days from the time he began his journey. It's not in 40 days that Nineveh is going to be Nepachas. It's in 38 days or 37 days. So the Nevuah, again, wouldn't be true. <coughs> Explains the al that he spoke and literally like a loudspeaker <coughs> reverberating in every house, those words echoed through. Forty more days in Nineveh is going to be turned over. Every single house in the city, in the three days distance, echoed with his words. And everyone knew that these were the words of Hashem. Yonah was a Novi Emes. And these words were being directed to them by Hashem. And as a matter of fact, that's why, very shortly, the next Pasuk says, Vayaminu anchi Nineveh belokim. The people of Nineveh believed in Hashem. Vayikrutzom, they called out a fast. Vayilbashusakim, they wore sackcloth. Mikdolam vadketanam, from their large, from the oldest, the eldest, to the smallest, old and young. Now, the Targum explains, what does it mean, Vayimino anche Nineveh belakim? The people in Nineveh believed in God. They didn't believe in God. Had they believed in God, they wouldn't have done all of the Averas that they have been doing for years. Explains the Targum, They believed in the word of God as was being transmitted by Yonah. Because the Malachim, the sailors, came earlier and said, told over the events of Nineveh, of, I'm sorry, of Yonah. And because of this Baskol sort of large sound coming in each house reverberating, they believed that Yonah was speaking the words of God, and immediately they got the message, the Dechuva. And they called a fast, they immediately decreed a fast day, and they wore sackcloth from their oldest to their youngest, and explains the Rishonim at this point, they really did tshuva, and they recognized that if they don't, they're going to die, and they turned around from the bad that they had been involved in. <coughs> the word came to the king of Nineveh, <coughs> the king himself got up from his throne, <coughs> he took off his fine cloak. He was wearing extremely precious, very honorable begodim. <coughs> he took them off. He wore sackcloth. He sat down on soot, burnt uh, ashes. <coughs> he sat down to be a symbol to the entire world. And he sent out <coughs> proclamations. <coughs> he screamed out. <coughs> and we're going to hear what he screamed out. Vayomer <coughs> <clears throat> and he said, From the reason of the king and his, and his uh, <clears throat> advisors, meaning from the word of the king and his council, Lamar to say, 
Ha'odam vabehima, man and animal. Ha'bokar vason, the cattle and sheep. Al yitamu muuma, shall not taste anything. Al yiru, they shouldn't be pastured. Umayim al yishtu, and they should not drink. So the word that the king of Ninveh sent out was to man and animal. Don't eat anything, don't drink. Not only man should you fast, not eat and not drink, but the animals as well should not be given pasture, and they should not be given drink. Now, one has the right to ask, why in the world would the behemoths have to fast? Why would he want the behemoths to not eat? Why would he want them to, to have to fast? So the reality is that the people of Ninveh were quite sophisticated, and the king of Ninveh was as well. Again, we, from Western civilization, we have much understanding of technological advances, scientific, the physical world we're very attuned to, we understand how it operates. But the spiritual world we're largely clueless to. As I mentioned earlier, the Rambam in Hilchos Ovedes explains that once upon a time, every human being understood that Hashem is the creator and maintainer of physicality. They were very attuned to spirituality. From Adam Arishan on, it was a tremendous idea of Hashem. Now they made certain mistakes and they were veered off after idols and different forces, but there was a tremendous understanding of spirituality. And the Medrash explains, and it's brought by the Rishonim, that what they were doing was basically trying to get Hashem to have Rachamim. They know Hashem, Eine Kolelechi Yisabiru, all eyes turn to Hashem, meaning if it could be, because Hashem is the creator, Hashem feels an obligation to take care of His creations. The Bali Musa explains, if I invite you into my house, so it's only right, it's only proper, if I've invited you, I have to take care of your needs. So too, if it could be Hashem who is the creator, feels an obligation, if it could be, to maintain all the physicality. And for that reason, Hashem is Mepharnes man, <coughs> Hashem sustains man, and Hashem provides sustenance to every creature in the world. And Hashem is Rachman, Hashem is mercy. They were attempting to get the animals to cry out in hunger, and to be ma'orer, to awaken the mercy of Hashem, and thereby get him to be more marachim. But it's interesting to see how clever they were. <clears throat> the people covered themselves with sackcloth, the man and the animals, animals themselves also <laughs> apparently dressed in sackcloth, <laughs> they called out to Hashem with strength, <laughs> each man returned from his wicked way, and from the thievery that was in their hands. Now, it's very interesting, the Pasuk apparently is telling us they did tshuva, but it's very interesting to hear how the Pasuk is describing it. They called out to Hashem with power, with strength. What does that mean? <clears throat> so Rashi brings down the Medrash. What that means is they had a certain plot. What they did was they took all of the nursing animals and separated them from their mothers, the nursing sheep, <clears throat> the nursing cows. They put them, the mothers in one barn and put the babies in another. <clears throat> and they said to Hashem, if you're not going to have mercy on them, we're not going to have mercy... <coughs> I'm sorry, Hashem, if you're not going to have mercy on us, <coughs> we are not going to have mercy on them. And <coughs> the animals were bleeding, were crying <coughs> from their hunger, and they did this in order to awaken Hashem's mercy. What the Pesach means, that they did it bechazaka, they did it with strength, was like they strong-armed Hashem. 
Meaning, it is true and it is correct that Hashem acts with midas arachamim. Hashem runs this world with mercy, and there are various ways to be ma'ore to awaken Hashem's mercy. What they were doing was, if it could be trying to strong arm God, see, God, we'll, we'll force you to have mercy. <coughs> see, if you don't have mercy on us, we're not going to have mercy on those babies. See those baby calves and those baby lambs? You see them, they're crying. Well, you better have mercy on us, or we're not going to have mercy on them. So, it's kind of interesting. I hate to call it a Gaisha cup, but it's a little backwards thinking, meaning you're trying to awaken mercy of Hashem, but you're doing it in a, in a strong arm manner. It's very foolish. But again, it's indicative of their understanding the midah with which Hashem runs the world <coughs> and some of the systems of, of the way Hashem actually <coughs> is nohig the, the world. But in any case, <coughs> what they did was, <coughs> each man returned from his wickedness and from the chamas, <coughs> from the thievery in their hands. Now, <coughs> it's interesting to note that Yonah did not tell them what their sin was. Yonah did not announce to them, you have been uh, guilty of this sin and this crime and this sin. Quite the opposite. All Yonah did was, he said the exact words as we're told, <coughs> In 40 more days, Ninveh is going to be turned around. He didn't tell them their sin, didn't tell them their yet instantly. <coughs> they put on the sackcloth, they decree a fast, and right away they know what their sin is, and they know how to do tshuva. Now how could that be? And the answer to this is an understanding of the human. When Hashem created the human, Hashem created us with a very straight heart. Hashem gave us a heart that understands. Hashem gave us an inner understanding. We call it a GPS of the soul. Basically, we have an Hashemah. And whether you're a holy Jew, whether you're a regular person, a Gentile, it doesn't matter. You have an Hashemah. And imprinted in that Hashemah is all of the knowledge of what it is that you should be doing, what's right, what's wrong, and all they had to hear was the words that if you don't do tshuva, you're going to die. They got it, and they knew exactly what to do. They gave up the chamas Hashem Mekapeim, the thievery um, in their hands. It is a little bit of a machlokas, we're showing them how far their tshuva went. The Barbanel explains they only did tshuva from gezel. They only did tshuva from thievery, because that was really the reason why they were being condemned to death. <coughs> the generation was being condemned to death because of stealing. They did tshuva from that. And once they did tshuva from that, now they were able to be kept alive, and that was their tshuva. Further, the king of Nineveh said, yashuv, Whoever knows should return, and maybe Hashem will turn around. Hashem will turn around from his anger, and we will not be lost. The next passage says, Hashem saw their actions, because they returned from their bad ways, Hashem in fact turned around, for the bad that He spoke to do to them, and in fact Hashem didn't do it. So the reality is that the people of Ninveh did tshuva, Hashem saw their actions, that they returned from their bad ways, meaning the gezel, the thievery they had returned from, and Hashem decided to not destroy them as again Hashem originally planned to. Now, let's stop a minute here, and we finish this parak, but let's stop on a few points to, to focus on. One is the fact that the sin which Ninveh was supposed to be destroyed for was the sin of gezel. Now, we know that Ninveh was involved in many, many averas. There were many sins that they did, many iniquities. 
As a matter of fact, Umar tells us it was a riot, it was a mishka of zakhar, they were stealing men's wives, they were living with other men, they were every sort of avera. They were literally, the Rishonim tell us, they were on the level of stone and amora, on the level of depravity and in, incredible iniquity. So the question is, why is it that it was gazel stealing, that was the one avera for which they're being uh, condemned to death, and once they do tshuva from that, all of a sudden it's cleaned up. But the truth is, this is not the only generation where we see this. The time of Noah as well. The time of Noah, people were ra'a ba'ini Hashem, they were wicked in the eyes of Hashem, but Rashi on Parshish Noah explains, lo nechtam gzardim el gezel. It was only because of thievery that their decree was sealed. And the reason for this is because Chazal explained to us that kupa malea averis. You have a basket full of averis, Who's the one who screams out loudest? It's Gezel. You see, thievery is not the worst Avera in the Torah. It's not a capital crime. There are many punishments that are more severe. <coughs> Living with another man's wife, Yechayiv Misa, in death. Mishkav Zachar, as mentioned, living, one man living with another man, is also of death. So, <coughs> clearly, thievery, stealing, is, is an Avera, it's a sin, but it's not the worst Avera in the Torah. So why is it that it calls out first? Why is it that if you have a basket full of sins, the one that cries out the loudest, the one that demands payment, is thievery? So the Achronim explained to us that Hashem created the world to be inhabited, to be populated, to live in peace. And what thievery does is it destroys the Yishuv. It destroys civilization. Because when I steal from you, you're going to steal back from me. Law and order will become non-existent. Chaos will reign and the world will not be able to exist. For that reason, Gezel has a very large, loud cry. It's not that it's more severe than other Averas, Avodah is far more severe, but Gezel has a way of calling out and demanding repayment. So it's an interesting point to think about, that you know we may be very righteous people in this area, that area we may learn, we may daven, we may be very careful in other areas, but if we're not careful in issues of stealing, it could be that that will have a tremendous effect on us because there's much less tolerance, much less patience when it comes for <coughs> to when it comes to stealing. And Hashem may <coughs> pay us back for that before anything else. And, and again, it's illustrative to understand the the relevance of <coughs> Gezel and and the way it it demands repayment right away. But I think there's another lesson to learn from this parak that's also very compelling. The Mabit, who's a Rishon in Sefer Brisalukim, draws an interesting illustration about tshuva from here. And that is as follows. <clears throat> Clearly, the people of Nineveh did many, many sins. <clears throat> now, the problem, they were decreed to die because of this uh, <clears throat> one sin called Gezel, <clears throat> and they did tshuva on it. But let's analyze their tshuva. <clears throat> Number one, their tshuva was not complete. They kept serving idle, they kept being involved in illicit relations, they still did many many sins. Additionally nowhere do we see that they had charata. We don't see that they had regret. We don't, say, we don't see that they said, oh Hashem our ways are wrong and they suddenly became different people. Quite the opposite. All we see is they stopped doing what they started doing and it says Hashem saw that they now stopped. Hashem saw their actions that they made up not to do it any longer, they returned from the evil ways, but we don't see any charata, we don't see any regret. And so the Mabit makes an interesting point. Here is a pretty insincere tshuva. 
they're told that if they don't r- repent, they're going to die. They don't really repent, they just stop doing what they're doing, and that alone is considered a sufficient tshuva that done, nothing to talk about, the, the punishment is off. Says them a bit, from here we see a tremendous lesson. And that lesson is that any tshuva, even an insincere tshuva, even a tshuva done because the person thinks they're going to be punished or die or whatever, and even a totally incomplete tshuva has an effect. Now granted for them, it wasn't complete, it wasn't total, and in the end, it didn't totally completely change things around, but the reality is, it stopped that decree immediately, and it prevented them from being destroyed. But I think there's one more point that we can learn from this parak that's especially illustrative and very, very significant. And that is, let's focus on the following. We were told by the Rishonim that the reason why Hashem sent Yonah to Ninveh was because Hashem wanted to use Ninveh. Hashem understood the Jewish people turned to bad, and Hashem wanted Ninveh to be the whip. Hashem wanted Ninveh to be the one to kick the Yisrael, would be a part of kicking Klai Yisrael out of Eretz Yisrael. But if it could be, Hashem had a problem. Ninveh had sinned so egregiously that the Midas Adin demanded that they be destroyed. And if it could be, Hashem had a problem. Oyvei, I want to use them to destroy Ninveh. I can't use them because they've sinned so egregiously. So what does Hashem do? Hashem says, Yon, sends Yonah to, to bring to Tshuva. Yonah doesn't agree. Hashem has to force Yonah, put him into the dog, squeeze him. And finally, oh, Baruch Hashem, Yonah agrees. Now uh, Hashem gets to complete his plan. Here's the point. Hashem made the rules. Why can Hashem bend the rules? Meaning, let's say, granted, I agree, the, that the people of Ninveh had sinned so egregiously that the Midas Adin, the attribute of justice, demands that they be destroyed. But Hashem has an ulterior motive, if it could be. Hashem wants to keep them around for a specific reason. Hashem needs them. So why can't Hashem bend the rules? Yes, the Midah of Din, the attribute of judgment, demands that they be destroyed. I understand it. But Hashem made that rule, and let Hashem bend that rule, because Hashem wants them around for an ulterior purpose. Why does He have to send you and get them to do tshuva? Oh, Baruch Hashem, they did tshuva, I could keep them around. And I believe the answer to this is a deep understanding of the way Hashem created the world, and the way Hashem runs the world. Mesut HaShem explains to us that Hashem is a kel mishpat. Hashem is just, and Hashem made decrees, and Hashem abides by them. When Hashem created the world, Hashem created laws of nature. Heat tends to rise, gases tend to expand, heavy objects tend to fall. As Hashem created laws for the physical world, Hashem created laws for the spiritual world as well. One of the laws is something called din. Din is justice. Justice is a reality. Justice means that you're held accountable for what you've done. Justice means you're responsible for what you do. Justice is 100% yosher. Justice is 100% proper and correct. You did this. From this came out this. You are responsible. You are accountable. And if it could be, because Hashem is the kel mishpat, because Hashem is a just God, Hashem if I could say the words, can't bend the rules. Because Hashem wants mishpat. Hashem created the world with justice. Hashem created the world with that midah in operation. And if it could be, Hashem can't bend the rules. And the Mishra Hashem explains that just as Hashem will richly reward us for every action that we do, so too Hashem will punish us for everything bad that we've done. 
because Hashem is the Kel Mishpat. Hashem desires justice, and justice demands repayment on both sides of the scale, on the good and on the bad. And therefore, if it could be, Hashem's hands were tied, meaning to say Hashem created the world with rules of justice. There's a certain limit. Once you hit the certain limit, it's done, finished. Ninveh had reached the limit to which a human being can possibly drop, and after that point, he no longer can be kept alive. They had sinned so egregiously, and they had reached the limit where the Midas Adin demanded that be they destroyed, and because Hashem created the world and runs the world with various laws, that law demanded that they be destroyed. And if it could be, Hashem could not bend the rules. Why? Because again, Hashem is a Kel Mishpat, <coughs> Hashem runs the world <coughs> with justice, and <coughs> that is, if it could be, what Hashem had to do for this situation. Now, <coughs> the reason why I think this is very, very illustrative and very, very significant to us <coughs> is because we human beings make a fundal, fundamental mistake about the world to come. Most of us <coughs> have the following attitude. Listen, I'm not a tzaddik. I know, listen, I, I do things wrong, but I also do things well. You know, it's true, I do have areas, I do, I do things wrong, I could do better, but I do plenty of good. I give staka, I learn, I daven, I do chesed. You know, on balance, I'm okay. Some bad, <coughs> lots of good, on balance, I'm okay. Now, <coughs> if the judgment in the world to come was unbalanced, it might be true. <coughs> Meaning to say, when you go to college, your final grade is a GPA. <coughs> your GPA is based on your four years of school. These many courses, you got these many A's, these many B's, these many C's, put them all together, balance it out, divide it up, and your GPA is 3.75. On balance, you're an excellent student. But judgment in the world to come is not on balance. It explains in the Sharm in the fourth parak that we will be richly rewarded for every single action that we've done well and will be severely punished for everything that we did wrong. There's no on balance. There's no, in general terms, I'm a good guy. Every single thought, every single deed, every day of my life is scrutinized and analyzed, and every single action is brought to din. All of the good, I'll be richly rewarded for my intention, for my <coughs> how difficult it was, for everything I put into it. And the opposite, <coughs> on the other side of the equation, nothing is overlooked, nothing is forgotten. And if you'd like an illustration of what it's like <coughs> in the world to come, imagine that you're in a large room. And if you've ever been in Yad Vashem, it might be easier to imagine at the very end of Yad Vashem, there's a very large, tall, high ceiling, and you see pictures, pictures, pictures of people. They're trying to get you to see what it was like, who the people were, who were killed in the Holocaust. And it's a very telling, very moving exhibition because you see picture of picture, young people, old people, throughout the entire human experience. So if you imagine that you're in such a room and there are all these hundreds and hundreds of pictures, but they're not pictures of other people, they're pictures of you. You when you're a little child, you when you were a teenager, you when you're an old person, you when you got married, you before you got married. Pictures of your life. But they're not just pictures, very detailed, exact events of your life with both the audio as well as the video as well as the feeling track, your kavanas, your intentions, and your entire life is right there for all to see. Every moment, every thought, every action, right there in a very vivid, 
clear image because in the world to come nothing is forgotten in this physical world my brain which I'm forced to think through remembers some things forgets far more I forget what I had for breakfast yesterday I don't remember what I did last week but that's a human physical characteristic that's dependent on organic substance the goof, the behemoth is physical it's limited and the brain forgets but the neshama, the I who am speaking to you, forgets nothing. When I leave this body, <clears throat> my body is put in the ground, and I separate every moment of my life. Every action comes back in vivid, clear color. <clears throat> With absolute, total clarity, I see every moment of my life, and I'm richly, richly, keenly rewarded <clears throat> with everything that I accomplished, and everything that I did on the other side of the equation is with me for eternity. And the reason why I think this is a critical and key concept is because this should be one of the greatest motivations for tshuva. Hashem gave us this process called tshuva. We'll discuss later a little bit long, a little bit later on how exactly it functions. But the reality is that tshuva works. As Mabit told us that even an insincere tshuva under duress of death, only partially done right by the people in Nineveh worked. Surely a sincere tshuva a person turns to Hashem and says, I terribly regret that which I've done, undoes bad actions. It makes it like it's not there, (coughs) eliminates the pictures, (coughs) erases it from the record. And understanding that who I am for eternity is shaped on my actions, my thoughts, what I do here, and that forever I will richly (coughs) be rewarded, or the opposite, should be a huge motivation for tshuva, because Hashem forgets nothing, not on the good, not on the bad, and that understanding should motivate us tremendously to do tshuva and use Yom Neroim and Yom Kippur specifically for its intended purpose to undo much of the bad.